You know what? <laughs> I like my racists up front. And I feel like the President of the United States, for anybody who hasn't been paying attention, or honestly, you know, um, like black folk, we could tell when somebody's racist. I feel like we we have that that spidey sense, you know what I mean? But called a survival sense exactly mm -hmm. but like you know there are still somehow people on earth mm -hmm. who do not believe that donald trump is a racist and he retweeted somebody screaming white power holding a sign one of his re-election signs today yeah actually it was it was the person in the golf cart and also the person that was filming so people screaming white power in the first 20 seconds of the video. Cause you he, said yeah, he said that he, he didn't, uh, he didn't hear that part. So he deleted it off of his Twitter. Maybe he listens to Twitter like I do on mute. <laughs> I feel like the people who actually tweeted it as well, like there were so many people under it being like, white fucking power, fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> he was like, mm, that's my shit. Retweet. How does he even get notifications? I mean, he probably has like keywords. That he searched. He does a whole SEO search. Nah, that motherfucker go just in the search and where, you know, as normal people might search for a product mm -hmm. or a company that they like or something like that. Mm -hmm. This guy, he'd be like, I wonder if anything Nazi-ish is going on out there and just be <laughs> just be searching for that shit. Man. But it's it's definitely a whole lot of steps beyond dog whistle. For all the people who weren't getting the dog whistle, you know, this guy was just like, nah, we going full 1965. Selma, Alabama, All the way German Shepherd bites you in the ass racism. Yeah, it was pretty in your face. And and I, I noticed that uh, he'll do these things quite often where I remember there was some like Islamophobia. There was like all, all the phobias and the isms he's done really, really in your face and then like erased it or said like, you know, I didn't make that. You know, or that's what the people are saying, but it's that's, it's so that's what, insulting, and it's insulting to I'll, I'll say to white people that are not racist. Mm -hmm. It's insulting to his base that really wants him to commit openly and loudly and be the racist that that he is, that they are, and then it's incredibly insulting and incredibly dangerous to us who have to deal with the people who feel like. They're getting the permission to live their truths out loud, you know? <sighs> what 
the fuck could we possibly be talking about today? <laughs> like, are any suggestions? Like, I mean, where it's a, it's it's every day. I mean, we already have our everyday shit, but then we have the leader that yeah, that's like setting setting them loose. Well, I mean, oh, go ahead, man. Now, I was just going to say, and, you know, that's the, the scary part with everything where you would think for someone who's messed up so many things that there's no way that he would even be able to be eligible to do this for another four years. But the, that base is so strong. That's how he got in in the first place. And it's scary to think that there just might be enough people to where we might have to do this shit again. Well, the, the crazy thing is the base is dedicated. Like racists are dedicated, but there are not a lot of them. Like uh, they were talking about how he even got into the Republican nomination was from the plurality. It wasn't from majority. a majority vote, right? So the thing is, because he wins with that plurality, everybody has to fall in line and then push his shit. You know what I'm saying? And they're all afraid in the Republican Party to piss off their racist and their uh, evangelical base. Because of their heavy commitment. Because of their heavy commitment and the evangelical side, lots of funding. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's bugged when you think about it because they are using the same tactics that help elect people in the 1800s mm -hmm. in 2020. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're riling people up and trying to get them scared and saying that, you know, Mexicans are coming to steal their jobs mm -hmm. and uh, black people are lawless mm -hmm. and we need to have law and order. Right. And it's the same thing that's been going on for, you know, hundreds of years in this country from when we didn't even have the fucking right to vote. Right. You know, what I'm saying like we've been used as a political pawn and most of these white people who are in these situations don't even realize that the poverty that they experience mm -hmm. has been brought upon them from the people that they vote for their and, it, and, they, and their yeah their policies and whereas they're like yeah 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 you know we're gonna do all this to these people of color or we're gonna limit the scope of the government they still take all that money throw it into the military and then ship out all those jobs that those white people would have had to other countries and have left them impoverished. But instead of voting for their own mm -hmm. uh, interests, they're still voting out of fear and hatred, you know? So it's crazy, cause it's like, so, you know, we, we get into this thing like, yo, what the fuck? Like America has just this racial uh, sickness mm -hmm. that it is afraid to get over, not willing to deal with, and doesn't realize that this sickness is something that will only be to its detriment and its downfall. Right. You know, and it's like, yo, <laughs> it's hard to even even think of where can you go? You know, where can you go to get away from it? Because America's <laughs> influence is felt all over the world, you know? And it's funny, I was thinking about when we were in Kenya. Oh. <laughs> and even though, you know, like Kenya had so many amazing parts of it mm -hmm. that made us able to, you know, breathe, breathe yeah. you know. Um, but at the same time, they were still dealing with some of the same problems that we in the black community have here mm -hmm. because they were colonized by the English. Right. And how we how we view ourselves, like going back to, to 
you know, uh, the words of of how black is treated in 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 uh, in the vernacular and, and mm -hmm. black is bad and all these other things. How we view our bodies, what body types we have, how mm -hmm. we look at our lips, our hair, our noses, you know, all of our body parts, our curves, whatever the case it is, you know, we still look at it and hate it, and mm -hmm. think that we're supposed to look at so at like something else, and they have they're dealing with the same thing there. Yeah, I was really impressed though there where they have to like yes, there's of course the inner workings that we all have to work through once this oppression is lifted even just you know even if we could just like get that little sip of air we got to take that little air and kind of work within ourselves but mm -hmm. i was really impressed with like them uh fighting against any non-black uh advertisement yeah. and billboards and names and and how they're working to decolonize their you know just their visual representation of self and like that to me was it, it was i was like like my mouth was salivating like oh my gosh like that's the biggest win in the in the world just to have a billboard with your face on it and yeah. that i know it's not but it damn sure seems like everything when when you compare it to our experience here where like that's like a pipe dream or if you are on a billboard it's for america's most wanted or some new boss yeah yeah or a birth control or you know something that is directly tied to a stereotype for sure and i, I mean that aspect kind of led to a lot of conversations mm -hmm. while we were over there mm -hmm. talking about decolonizing mm -hmm. our bodies decolonizing our sex mm -hmm. and ways that we can go about doing that because you know it's for example, like the first time I ever got to go to the continent, I got to go to uh, West Africa. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Senegal, answer all of my questions. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Senegalese people help me. I need to know everything about our history, you know, and it, it doesn't work that way. Right. But every little bit does make a huge difference. Like to find out what our history was before we were here. So like, you know, when you go when you go places and, and people ask you, you know, what's your history? What's your, what's your, where's your family from? Mm -hmm. You know, as African-Americans, unless people have done that- um, Genealogy. That genealogy shit, you just be like, like my family, we could trace ourselves back to a plantation in Virginia. Mm -hmm. But before that, who knows? Mm -hmm. So there is something about learning about what were the practices what were the experiences what was the culture what was the what was the faith mm -hmm. what was the music what was all these things before we were stolen and forced into something else right and i had the the pleasure of going to a museum mm -hmm. when when i was in curacao that actually had like uh I don't know they were basically like dildos mm -hmm. from like before europeans got mm -hmm. to west africa and fertility dolls mm -hmm. and all of these things that showed that sexuality in at least you know certain cultures mm -hmm. in africa were not as stringent and oppressive in regards to sex as what we've been forced right. to think here in america mm -hmm. so when you see those things um like I remember 
going to Greece and, and seeing like, um, like just dildos, for, but they were more like, not even like a sex toy per se, as much as they were just like, like, of course you should have a dick on your keychain. I like I, I couldn't I couldn't make sense of it even for myself, yeah. but also the same thing of like going to a family friendly hotel and seeing like topless um, sunbathers, you know, and being like, oh my gosh, like I thought this place was family friendly, but then getting all mixed up in my head, like why do I make such a big deal of it, and and not even realizing how much of the stuff that's put on us here is so unnatural. Yeah. You know, so for you going into that museum and seeing like the dildos, knowing that you have your own and how hard it was for how hard it was <laughs> for you to find find a developer to want to work with you and make it in your likeness, not just some, you know, black dick, you know, like just but then seeing it in a museum and exalted and and worshipped and, and accepted like what what does that make you feel like well i think it's it's a lot of things number one you know we we did an episode where we were talking about uh what our upbringing in the church mm -hmm. had to do with mm -hmm. with our sexuality but also just our cultural mores and um customs mm -hmm. here have all been shaped by not just Christianity, but the Christianity that was taught to slaves, right. which is different than the Christianity that they were teaching themselves. Because they were, they would tell us on the plantation, "You're descendants of Ham and Canaan, mm -hmm. so you know you are cursed and wicked and meant to be beasts of burden." Mm -hmm. Right. So all of these things, and then just fast forward through hundreds of years of racist, you know, sexualization of our bodies. Right that makes us want to cover our bodies or makes us want to be in certain spaces where it's just kind of like, I know I'm only here because I have a black dick. Right. Or whatever. Or and being fetishized. Black mm -hmm. booty and they're like, yeah, we need you to twerk or whatever mm -hmm. the fuck. Right? So like to be there and see that our people were comfortable with it. Like I know people back in the day used to make fun of the National Geographic where they would show, you know, Back, back in Africa or people didn't have tops on. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you think we live in a society now right. where people will call the cops on a woman for breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But every single thing that they sell us is with sex. Yeah. Is with is sex. that little, little clothes possible. You, I, I actually want to, I, I want to bring forward, you know, we talk about decolonizing our body, but I don't know that our listeners are completely clear on how we've been colonized like how does someone identify listening in and you know we can kind of talk about it here but like how do you how do you know that you are living a colonized like living in a colonized body per se or that you need to deconstruct and you or need to deprogram especially if you don't know where you came from right so you don't you don't have anything to balance it to balance it with to be like oh that's how my people are. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do we how do we even begin to identify how we've been colonized? I think our standards of beauty mm -hmm. are not our own. Right. We've been taught to like take something as not simple, but take something as common as our hair. Mm -hmm. You know, up until recently, and I think this they only passed laws in New York and California mm -hmm. on this. Um, 
if you came to certain offices and certain mm -hmm. places of work and you had an afro mm -hmm. or you had locks or braids in your hair or just had your hair natural that they would consider you to now be unprofessional mm -hmm. or unkept mm -hmm. or whatever and they would some might find try to find grounds to fire you yeah. with that so you know that's you're trying to now change who you are you're straightening your hair mm -hmm. you're cutting your hair you're doing whatever you can to fit in with the people who have colonized your people mm -hmm. right so in regards to sex i think when we do reduce ourselves to the sexual stereotypes of white america right like for men you know talk about it a lot there's this book that was like one of the first popular books in America called mm -hmm. uh, Mandingo. Mm -hmm. And Mandingo was the story of this white slave owner who raped a lot of black women on his plantation. Mm -hmm. When he left the plantation to go on travels, he hold, the whole time obsessed over his uh, slave Mandingo mm -hmm. sleeping with his wife. Okay. So yeah. it's one of the things that created that whole stereotype of all black men are after white women mm -hmm. that black men are here for the sexual satisfaction of white women mm -hmm. um and that there's no controlling black men's sexuality or big black dick or all these kind of things come from there and it's like you know there is a tribe in africa called mandinka mm -hmm. and they were warriors but this is like a bastardized version of even the name mm -hmm. and you know, from there, uh, Birth of a Nation. Right. The first big film in America was like about freed slaves going after white women. Mm -hmm. and the heroes were the Ku Klux Klan. You know what I'm saying? So we internalize that shit where it's like, I'm scared to be my full sexual self or I try to live up to this stereotype because then I know I'll be welcome around yeah. people who put me into this box. Mm -hmm. So that's where we have to start deconstructing it. Because like, for example, when we do some of our workshops and we've had black men be like, I don't want to be aggressive. I kind of yeah. relate as a, a switch or a sub or something like that. You know? Yeah, I see that that exact same thing with women who, um, with black women who either want to be dominant or submissive, but they'll say like to be, if they're dominant, then they're feeding into the stereotype of being an angry black woman, mm -hmm. even though that is what suits them them best sexually. Um, and then to be submissive is to like somehow disappoint the stereotype yeah. of being, and it's like, so they just like don't, don't engage because they don't know where, where they fit in. And I think that also comes into play when you start talking about black trans people mm -hmm. black uh gay lesbian mm -hmm. queer asexual mm -hmm. like if you're asexual and and, and, black. and black that destroys a whole lot of stereotypes for people and they just can't wrap their head around no. it because we're supposed to be over and hypersexual people in in, mm -hmm. in white america's eyes so someone who feels that way might be like damn there's something wrong with me mm -hmm. and you could spend your entire life feeling like something is wrong with you when it's your natural self right well i mean I, I when as soon as you said that um about being asexual it made me think of some like non-sexual examples like a black man that can't play basketball 
or a black person that can't dance, you know, or braid hair, or, you know, all of these things that are, like, actually, like, skill sets, individualized skill sets. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Um, Question? Yeah. I know, obviously, you know, you guys, uh, you know, when you guys do your, you know, work and everything, it, it, you know, part of the reason is to, um, part of the reason is because, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes when people go to watch, you know, adult entertainment and everything. So obviously, you know, you guys are, uh, you know, blazing a trail there. When you when you guys uh, started, did you find that there was uh, anyone who was in the business already to kind of let you know that you'd be on the right path to be able to keep doing, you know, what you do as far as taking down stereotypes of what people want to see from Black people in adult entertainment? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you want to answer first? Yeah, I I will say um, my so no. Um, coming into the industry, it was, for me, it was a little bit later. So I also had some time to do my own market research of what was out there and where there was a gap and how I saw that we were represented. I will say that, um, as we started to, to move forward in our work and started to look at some of the adult performers that came before us, uh, I it's almost like I, I didn't have an opportunity to have a conversation with them, but just to kind of look at some of their bodies of work. And like, you can see this like same, the same struggle that you see now in performance with, which was like, I want to do something sexually freeing. I, um, I want to go against the grain and, and do this kind of work, but I'm limited, you know, I'm limited. And, and I, I there was, I, I don't want to say the wrong performer's name, but like somebody that got like invited into the Hall of Fame like many, many years after she had been performing. And it was just like very obvious that I was getting into a business very much the same as mainstream media. Yeah. That where it's like, if you get any kudos, it'll be like long after, um, just kind of like throw you a bone type of thing. And that if you got into this industry the way that others like the others that came before like through agencies and large companies you're probably only going to be able to work this lane um and i did not want to have that same kind of i'm not saying that anybody could pick up on it it's just that thing that as black people we know that aura that look that you look and you like yeah like i know you hate that shit, but keep your head up you know i knew i didn't want that so you know we forged this this path and and now we're starting to hear people because of this uprising the discussion that we're having globally we're definitely hearing people with the same sentiments that we're tired of these stereotypes in the adult industry and it is really difficult i would say not as much within the industry but absolutely from the people who we were doing parties for yeah because yeah. at the time when we were doing the fantasy flight parties People would ask like, "When you gonna get back into porn? Mm -hmm. When you gonna when when are we gonna see some porn that actually mm -hmm. reflects who we are and and the diversity within mm -hmm. our sexualities, the diversity within the kind of sex we like, and the diversity in our skin tone and our love and passion and all these things." And from from people at the parties yeah. when we first started putting out, we kind of had that overlap where we were still doing parties but also putting out content. Mm -hmm. And people just like, yes, mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. that's what I've been looking for. That's what I've needed in, in my life, you know, because it's it's tough if you have 
some sense about yourself and you also are horny and you're like well which one am i gonna give up today you know am, am i gonna watch something that's gonna offend me so i could watch porn and bust a nut or am i gonna not watch porn and just go straight off the mental roller decks and see what i got in there right now you know what i'm saying so when we decided that we were gonna do it and we were gonna be unapologetically black with everything that we do i mean i don't even think it was a it wasn't really up for vote we no. just was like we just gotta do this shit our way yeah and i think definitely from the from the people who supported us which is our people from jump you know it's it's always kind of been there yeah for sure so um kind of going back to to decolonizing our sex and our sexuality um i mean i know that there's some real strong ways that we have tried to to like just like put this on front street from having the discussions when we're not doing porn so that way people can just like just like chime in listen in does, does any of this reign true for you and and it like having these discussions definitely has brought people to the forefront like i didn't realize how much of the the things and th that i thought about my body or not even you know my own thoughts i didn't know that I, my body could be celebrated you know all of those kind of things but just also stuff that we put into our work like our head wraps in our films our you know our waist beads or our um fabric or yeah. our incense the music like all of these things that we have historically been told are not professional or not sexy not sexy don't sell mm -hmm. you know or um men like women who da 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 da, da, da. Women like men who da, 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 you know, and just going like, mm, no, men, men like me, yeah. women like me, you know, and and then and putting it out there and like, yeah, there's an incredible market for what we do. There's um, a need for what we do, you know. Yeah, and I think we also have challenged certain things as well. We challenge know? people too. Challenge people, <laughs> challenge companies, challenge uh, old crusty ass ideas. Yeah. You know, I think about like the first time when we really started like getting on stage and doing blogging yeah. and working with Dragon Tales yeah. and things like that. And there is a certain amount of trauma for our people that is uh, associated with some BDSM type tools mm -hmm. or, you know, like for example, like the pillory, the pillory where you have your head and they close the thing mm -hmm. on top of your head or whatever. You know, that was not just used during slavery. That was used, you know, going back to like Spanish Inquisition and, mm -hmm. and in Europe and things like that. But it was also used here as a way to publicly humiliate and shame people. Or people would get pu public floggings mm -hmm. and lashing, mm -hmm. lashings and have floggers with metal on them to rip up people's backs and mm -hmm. things like that. But there is a part of impact play that can be pleasurable. And it was very important for us to involve ourselves in yeah. the pleasure part and test some of the parts for ourselves that had trauma you know mm -hmm. like i have trauma wrapped around handcuffs from getting beat by police mm -hmm. you know so what other kind of ways can i enjoy restraints that aren't associated with trauma mm -hmm. you know so you were like hey let's try putting some rope on your chest mm -hmm. just to feel some some pressure but not have your arms you know like just thinking outside of that little box gave me an opportunity to try something mm -hmm.
that I probably wouldn't have tried otherwise, you know? So hmm. all of these things like, okay, you don't want this type of whip and I could understand why we're just going to do hands or we have floggers made of feathers. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like with this, we find other ways that then we can take steps to have associations with things that aren't only with trauma. Well, that, that is so important. And that's like, um, the, the redefining and putting things in new context and reframing it for us is so important because we miss out on a, of exploring our sex and sexuality because of those traumatic experiences, the generational trauma. We don't see that all those different types of people have been put in that public humiliation, public punishment. You know, you really do have to dig for it. But when you look at our history, it starts there for us. We, yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I think, um, you know, we've been, we've had as a people to, to try so hard to figure out bits and pieces of our history beyond slavery or prior to slavery that we don't even have the privilege and time to look at the history of a pillory or a flogging and, and those type of things or even study the the science of pleasure of it, you know? So I, I, I appreciate that kind of work and seeing people's eyes light up at like, I could try this in and and do it in a, a new way or I can do it without thinking of someone doing this to me because they hate me, you know? Yeah. It makes me think of that time that we did that um, rope suspension with Cernati at the park. And um, I still get emotional about it, but it's, it's not even my own emotion as much as it is what a trigger it was for other people to watch. Um, but the long of the short is King, myself, Cernati, and Pandora did, had a, um, a rope bondage suspension session. We were just like trying some stuff out. We happened to just want to do it outdoors because we needed a structure. Not thinking about it at all, he did a one leg suspension on me from a tree. I enjoyed the experience. I thought it looked beautiful. I felt safe. I I was I felt so like wow, like I'm, you know, I'm trying this new sexy thing and I can contort my body and 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 then when we watched the video, I said, "Oh my god, I let this white man string me up from a motherfucking tree." And then I shared it. And that's like hearing people say like, "How could you let him do that to you?" Um this is 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 too triggering for me to even look at this. And it, it did give us a chance to have that conversation about like this thing that could be so beautiful also is such a painful reminder of, you know, our our bodies uh, being, you know, tortured and lynched and for public, you know, for public display and just all of the horrendous things that have happened to us that we cannot even enjoy our pleasure without backing it with our pain and that is just like incredibly frustrating um it's incredibly limiting it's that also that burden of your people on your back for every single thing that you want to try and experience because of what is this going to look like from an optic standpoint and you know we do see that happening a lot with within especially the BDSM community you want to try something but you don't want to try it with a dungeon master that's white because what if somebody sees that um we've heard white people say they've wanted to experience things with their their partner that's a person of color but they are terrified to do it in public because of what that might look like 
um you know it's just all of these things that are non-people of color counterparts or you know what have you they, they just don't have to think about all they gotta think about is is it gonna feel good or not do i want pain or pleasure yeah and then there's also the possibility that if someone is trying to work with you or session with you or shoot with you or whatever mm -hmm. they're doing it because they're fetishizing you right and they aren't gonna say your name they're just gonna say the black the blacks in the <laughs> in the black i was working in the black community <laughs> <laughs> exactly you know they're not gonna they're not gonna see you as an individual they're only gonna see you as a body part mm -hmm. and i think it's a very important time to remind people you know People are not fetishes. People have fetishes. People engage in fetishes. People explore love and find pleasure in fetishes, but people themselves are not fetishes. You can't have a black fetish. You can't have a trans fetish. You can't have an Asian fetish. You just can't. It's not a thing. Yeah. So um, first steps to decolonizing ourselves is to not see yourself as a fetish or allow anyone else to fetishize you. Another step in it is to recognize your individuality and be proud of your individuality explore it and be unapologetically you yeah and there's a lot more of us that are out here that are exploring and doing fun kinky things in safe ways and safe places so please find your tribe one of the ways to do that is link up with us we know some pretty kinky blackity black people <laughs> Play with us. <laughs>